But first, we'd let, like to welcome to the show Jim Trotter, who uh, you can see uh, basically everywhere. A lot of people know him from ESPN, SI, from NFL Network as well. Uh, Jim, you're on with Ryan Edwards, Andrew Mason, Steve Atwater. How are you, sir? Hey, what's hey, up, Jim? Jim? How you doing? I'm good. How you guys doing? We're fantastic. Uh, you are a pro football Hall of Fame voter as well. We'll get into that in just a matter of moments. Are you coming out for camp this year? At some point, I will, definitely. Okay. Nice. All right, cool. Well, we all we always look forward to seeing you when you're out here. Uh, but one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, of course, is the uh, Contributors Committee uh, will be uh, putting together their finalists later on in August. And, of course, Mr. Bolin, his name comes up uh, every single year. I know that it's a, it's always a topic of debate as far as what you guys end up going with. Uh, we'd like to know from you right now how good do you think his chances are of being one of the finalists this year? Well, considering he, he's he's been in the mix the last few years, I would say his chances are very good. But you can never say definitively um, because you never know how voters are, are going to vote once they actually get in the room. So, um, you know, I do believe I've said this before that I believed it was a matter of when, not if, when it comes to Mr. Boland. And, and my belief is that it's going to be sooner than later. So the fact that we have two candidates, contributor candidates this year, I think increases um the chances that this could be the year, but I would hate to say that definitively because I don't know. You never know until the voters actually vote. Now, in looking at Pat Bowen, what do you think makes him such a quality candidate to come out of the Contributors Committee based on what he's done over the years? Well, I think when you go back and you talk to people about his, not, not only the success that his team's had, but also the contributions that he made to the league, both from a television standpoint um, behind the scenes with labor and things. Uh, when you start factoring all of those things in, and I could go into the details, but I'm not sure the listeners really want to hear all of that. But I think when you when you factor in all of the contribu- contributions that he made to the game, as well as the success that his teams had, um, I think it, ma- it makes him a very formidable candidate. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Atwater hey, dozed off for a minute. <laughs> no, I didn't doze off. I, I thought I was going to say some more. Hey, I, I wanted to ask you about, about – I, I saw you tweeted a few things about um, the, 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 the national anthem policy, and I wanted to ask you uh, – I hate to jump subjects like that, but uh, no, do, you antici- do you anticipate there being a solid resolution before the season starts, or do you think this can carry on into the season? Um, I'll answer it this way. I don't think that the policy, the new policy that's been adopted is going to change much, if anything. Um, When we got to the owners' meetings in May, there was um, more than two-thirds of the owners wanted some sort of change as it related to the policy. And I don't think the league is going to walk that back now. I don't know how you – how you can change it at this point. You know, the, the league has given the players two options, and not just the players, but all league employees, meaning co- on-field employees, I should say, um, from coaches to ball boys, all those sorts of things. You're either going to stand on the sideline and be respectful of the flag, or you stay in the locker room. Now the question becomes, this is why it's so so um, so much confusion right now, is what does respect the flag mean? To different people, it means different things. And as I've been told, um, the league has yet to inform the clubs exactly what, quote-unquote, respect the flag means. Does that mean standing with your helmet under your left hand and your right hand over your heart? Does that mean facing the flag? What happens if you turn your back to the flag? Is that disrespectful? 
if you pray during the, the, the anthem, is that disrespectful? There are all these things, questions that still have to be answered by the league that teams have gotten have not gotten clarification on. And the other thing here is teams say, how can we talk to our players about what the policy is and how we're going to respond to it when, for instance, the league has yet to even inform the clubs what the fine schedule is um, on the clubs if a player does violate the policy. Because remember, one of the changes that was made um, in this is that if a player violates the policy, the league will find the team, not the player. And then it is up to the team to determine or decide whether or not it will in turn um, discipline the player. And what I have heard from multiple teams is a bunch of different things. I've had, you know, we've had publicly two teams, you know, in New York say they are not going to find their players if they discipline. I've had another team tell me that if they are fined by the league, they're going to pass that fine on to the player. I've had another team tell me that they have no intentions of finding their players, but what they ask of their players is that if you feel the need to demonstrate, come to us beforehand so that we can talk about it and maybe find some sort of alternative solution. Just don't blindside us. So there's a lot of variation in this thing right now, and and what we're ultimately seeking is is some, and what the teams are seeking is some sort of clarification on it. But, Jim, I, I thought that here recently that the NFL and the NFLPA decided to just put all that on hold and work on a joint policy. But I, I guess you're saying as of now that policy is still in place. No, no, no. It's on hold. But what I'm saying to you that once they get through these meeting, meetings, meaning the NFL and the NFLPA, I don't envision there being any oh. sort of radical change here okay. is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Um, and look – the union went into this when it filed the grievance against the league, knowing that, that from a legal standpoint, it really didn't have a leg to stand on in this. The, the, the NFL has the right to impose workplace conditions. And the fact, this is why it's so important that the league said it would find the teams and not the players. Because if the league were to find the players, then that has to be collectively bargained, meaning you have to sit down mm. with the union and you have to come up with something that's agreeable to both sides. Good point. If you find the team, that's outside of the collective bargaining agreement. Or if a team is to find the player, that's outside of the, of the collective bargaining agreement because those are workplace rules. So, so there was a strategy here, I believe, in, in what the league did. So, again, the union knows at this point that from a legal standpoint, it really doesn't have a leg to stand on in this. But it has to do something to show support for its players, many of whom are unhappy with this new policy. We're chatting with Jim Trotter here on the hotline. First and 10 of 10, orange and blue, 760. Coming back to Mr. Boland for just a moment, as you said uh, pretty clearly, saying you can't say definitively that uh, Mr. Boland will be one of the finalists this year. I can understand that. But as in this year or in years past, what's working against him? Why, why has he not kind of made that leap into this group? I think you would have to ask each individual uh, voter. Um, but I would say to you that, that there have been um, very strong candidates every year. And it's not unlike with players. You have so many deserving players, but you only have so many spots. And I can speak to this from Steve's standpoint as a player. Um, I don't understand why he doesn't get you know more of a run. Uh, one year I thought there was the momentum building towards him, and then the next year he's not back in the room. And so I don't understand how – I'm a voter, and I don't understand how these things work sometimes but as it relates to contributors um 
there are a lot of deserving candidates, and you can only pick one or two each year under this 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 uh, format. And so you're always going to have people or candidates uh, who do not get in. And I can understand why their fan base bases are upset, but until uh, until and unless you increase the number of spots for people to go into the Hall of Fame, you're always going to have this issue. And truthfully speaking, I think the Hall likes it like this. It likes the fact that, that it's perceived as being such an exclusive club that not everybody gets in and that deserving candidates don't get in every year. It makes it that much more special when they do get in. Yeah, it, the Hall may like it, but it seems like every year we're talking about this backlog or certain positions underrepresented, safeties underrepresented, although you've got you've gotten Dawkins and Easley in the last couple of years. O-linemen maybe well, not represented. Look, I, look I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll make the argument for you now that the next position you're going to see that really um, I think um, gets the short end of the stick are offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. We had four offensive linemen last year who I believe you could have picked any one of them or all of them to go in the Hall of Fame. And no one would have blinked because they were deserving. When you talk about an Alan Fanica, you talk about um, a Kevin Mawai, you know, a Tony Baselli, um, these type players, uh, Steve Hutchinson. And yet yeah. they didn't get in. And my fear, and again, this is just me, my fear now as we get into this fantasy football era where, where, where players from the fantasy football era are coming in, that there's going to be so much focus on the skill position, guys, um, that we tend to overlook the people who do the, the, the grunt work. And they're as important as anyone. And, and you know, truthfully, for instance, next year, we're already talking about it. We finished the vote last year, and everybody said, okay, next year's first-year candidates include Chan Bailey, Troy Palomalu, Tony Gonzalez. Those are three first-ballot Hall of Famers. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, they're all great players, but what about the guys who are still on the ballot who are great players? Do, do we now just discount them and say there are only then two available spots left for all of those guys? So I'm saying that to say it is a tough process. And for people who think that, that, you know, somebody is being snubbed every year, yeah, you can make that argument for a lot of guys, but it's tough. It's really tough, and I think that that these guys down in the trenches now are going to be the guys that that sort of suffer from this. Would you like to see maybe for next year, for example, the 100th NFL season, would you like to see maybe a one-time class that is bigger? Maybe it's – 17 people because that was the original Hall of Fame class to maybe ease the backlog a little bit. I'd love to see a bigger class, but it's not going to happen. At least as it's been explained to me, it's not going to happen. Now, Jim, each time the uh, semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame is announced, you know, you look on the website and there is a picture of you know, five, six different guys. How are those people decided, you know, how do they decide who's going to go on that list? Because in my opinion, those people definitely have a uh, kind of a leg up or, you know, kind of the favorites to go in for that particular year. Are you talking about for contributors? No, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm talking about just the regular uh, regular the list. Players, of, modern era players. players. Yes. Yeah, we start each year. Um, if you, if you, if anyone who has ever um, appeared in a Pro Bowl is eligible for the ballot, and from that point we start whittling it down. We have a series of votes, um, and you whittle it down until you get to that list of semifinalists, and then you move to the finalists. So it's a process. So that's how it begins. Though anyone who's appeared in a Pro Bowl or the voters can recommend someone to be on that list as well and then the ballots are sent out and we've got x number of players 
and you start whittling it down, and um, ultimately you get to to that final group that we vote on. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I may have been, been uh, not clear on that. But I'm talking about like when you get down, I think it's 25 or so uh, semifinalists, and on that, that uh, of that list of 25 players, five or six guys are put on the website. You know, their pictures are put up oh, on the website. Oh. They're kind of highlighted on that website. And uh, in my opinion, I think those are the guys who, you know, kind of have the highest odds of going in. Is that is that an accurate statement? I, I Steve, I honestly can't answer that because I'm not involved with it. So I don't know how they go about choosing those guys that, that they put um, on the website or highlight on the website. I, I don't have any information on that. Okay. Last question for you, Jim. We really appreciate the time. Really great insight, as always. Uh, I want to kind of dovetail on something that he that, that Steve mentioned earlier about the anthem. And is there a scenario in your mind that this could be done right? That it, it could be something that's not going to come up, that we're not, as media members, counting the guys that didn't show up out of the locker room. And uh, you said that you kind of expected to go back to what the, the owners originally voted on. But it feels like there there could still be a way that it gets done that the players are happy, the NFL's happy, and maybe it's not getting the coverage on a political scale that it's been getting. Is there is there a scenario for that, or is that uh, too utopic? I, I I don't know what it is. I mean, if you know it, I'd love to hear it because I don't think there's any any policy that you're going to create now that's going to satisfy everyone. You're you're going to have someone who is upset about it no matter what you do. And that's why I was always of the opinion that you don't do anything. I thought at the end of last year that this was all dying down. As Dr. Harry Edwards, you know, the the renowned Mm -hmm. sports sociologist, once said to me, he said, movements are fleeting. They have a shelf life. And he said, you can go back to the 68 Olympics where they did the the Black Fist salute, um, and you can go to Occupy Wall Street. You can go to all these different movements. He said they all have a shelf life. And that included the the anthem uh, um, demonstrations. And I thought it was dying out. At the end of last year, I think you may have had a a handful of guys who were still demonstrating. And then you had the league partnering with the Players Coalition on the social justice initiative. So it seemed to be moving forward. And there were owners, I know this for a fact because I spoke to them before that May meeting, that were of the opinion that we don't do anything. But what happened was that you had five or six really – strident owners who felt that there needed to be a drastic change, and then you had about half the league that felt like something should be done. They didn't know what, but that something should be done. And ultimately, those were enough votes to make the change. And and you had to know, or you, and if you didn't, I think your head was in the sand, that once you changed that policy, it was going to inflame the situation again. But one of the things that some owners said is that they didn't want the president to be able to use the NFL brand and the NFL shield as a weapon. And it turned out they played right into his hands when they did it. It started this thing all over again. And, and again, I just don't see it see it ending anytime soon. And, and the unfortunate part is here we are getting ready to start another season, and what are we talking about? We're not talking about football. And when we get to week one, what do you think the storyline is going to be? To some extent, people are going to be watching to see who's on the sideline and who isn't, um, those sorts of things. And I just think that's unfortunate. Jim, tremendous insight as always. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Jim. you, Jim. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. There he goes. That is Jim Trotter. Find him on Twitter at Jim Trotter underscore NFL.